0: chapter 3. So if you have one of these uh, Bibles that are in the back there, you can look on page 223 as we, we hear the story, um, the love story of Ruth and Boaz. But it is a special kind of love story. and it, in some ways, in many ways, in most ways, it is far more glorious than any Disney production. Uh, there, is, there is no hairy beast. Uh, In this, there is no snowman with a uh, carrot nose. But it it rivals and surpasses all the love stories that we know of, minus the soundtrack. So I'm sorry we won't have the soundtrack that goes with the Book of Ruth, that we can write something up. But uh, in the Book of Ruth, we're seeing this grand story. And unlike the Disney stories, this one is true. And it has to do with not just the love between a man and a woman, but the love of God and his people. And so we fall under that blanket today. It is part of our story. It is our love story and how it is to come to find a husband or wife. But it's also this overarching work of our God and our lives to love us. It's much, much sweeter than Beauty and the Beast. God has done something wonderful in Ruth chapter 3, and I'd love to share it with you today. I think someone's getting me, Sam, are you getting me, a, um, Sam Lawhon, where are you? Are you getting me another um, something here? Thank you very much. Adam Smith uh, wrote a famous book on economics, uh, The Wealth of the Nations, And in it, he gave a description of the invisible hand. The invisible hand in economics is this, in in a a capitalistic society, uh, is the supply and demand. So as supply, as demand increases, thank you very much. As demand increases, supply uh, decreases, right? And vice versa. Uh, It is this magical thing that happens that we can't see, that no one intends, but it is the reality of economics. And just as we have the the, the invisible hand that works in the economy throughout the book of Ruth and in our lives too, there is an invisible hand. As we look at the book of Ruth, we see these unique things that are happening. Do you remember last week as Ruth just happens to find herself in the field of Boaz? Do you remember that? She, in fact, the word was, she happened to happen, which means by sheer luck, as if the, uh, the writer of the book of Ruth is winking at us, saying, it's the invisible hand. God is at work. Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. He is someone who's a close relative. We should keep your eyes open because the invisible hand of God, the God, the said, as we've talked about, this special kind of love is at work in this story. So pay attention. And once again, we are seeing the, the, the invisible hand of God, the, the Hesed of God, not over just the children of Israel, as we talked about the story of Judges that is in the background of what's happening. We see the, the invisible hand of God's love reaching out to the world. And He's, he's manipulating, He's moving, he's, He is making all things come together for the good who love Him and are called according to His purposes. And it's unfolding in the narrative of the book of the Ruth, and it's unfolding in our lives too, amen? As we look and we can see the invisible hand of God protecting us, loving us, moving us from place to place just at the right time, the invisible hand of God, the Hassed of God throughout the story. And so today it is a story about a man and a woman, but more importantly, it's the story of a God and his people. So this is what happens. For those who haven't been here, we're learning about a woman named Naomi. Naomi is living with her husband, Elimelech, in the city of Bethlehem. There they fall uh, under hard times, and so they leave and they go to a place called Moab. In Moab, which is a terrible place, is a place the children of Israel were to have no part of and to have no part of those people. In fact, there were laws that said that you should not connect with the people of Moab, that they should not be a part of the family of God. But they go to that place and there they run into all kinds of trouble. Elimelech dies. The sons marry daughters, uh, women of Moab, one of whose name is Ruth, central character in this story, and then the sons die and 10 years later, then they come back and we see that Ruth comes back with Naomi. And when he does, we looked at those famous verses a couple weeks ago about her committing to Naomi, to loving her, to, to holding on to her. Remember, we used the word cleave, like it talks about in Genesis, to, to hold together to become one. She's willing to give up everything for this other widow who's going back to a place where she won't be well-received. Ruth is going back to a place where she won't be rowers received. She's a Moabitess in the town of Bethlehem. She will stand out like a sore thumb. She will return with her mother-in-law, and they will be wearing the clothes of widows. They will be in a mourning state, and they will return home. And that's what happens. We find that as they do, Naomi's response is to call herself now Mara, bitter. I'm bitter in this place. Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. And here is Ruth with her, and she's clinging to her, and she's willing to serve this woman who has very little opportunity to bless her. And she connects with her and loves her and cares for her and goes wherever she goes. Last week we saw that she goes and works in the field of Boaz. And there Boaz uh, expresses this said we've been talking about. This kind of love that goes beyond any laws or, 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 or what's expected culturally. She loves. He loves in a way that is unusual. That makes everybody go, what's up with this cat? This is not, this is not normal the way that he's loving this person his love is seen also in his relationship to his employees as he goes and he walks into the situation and he basically says praise God God bless you and all the guys say God bless you back unusual in a work environment for there to be such blessings of God going on and so there's this unique man this man who stands as a tower across uh, as, as a tower in the landscape of brokenness that is the book of Judges And so she works in his field. He blesses her and blesses her and blesses her. And that's where we find the story today. After all of this blessing, the mother-in-law, Naomi, she says to Ruth, now listen, I want you to do this. I want you to go at night. After the, the men have had a lot to drink. And after they've eaten and they feel really happy. And when Boaz has gone to sleep, I want you to go to him. Before you go, I want you to change your clothes. I want you to put on your best scent. I want you to put on some perfume. I want you to really get gussied up. That's not exactly the translation. (laughs) And so she's going to take off her clothes of mourning, which she's been known by, and put on the nicest clothes she has to go to the threshing floor. And so when it's dark and he's asleep, I want you to go up to him and I want you to remove his cover and I want you to lay next to him. And then when he wakes up, do whatever he says. Now, when you heard that, did you think, that sounds a little shady. Yes, it doesn't just sound shady to you and me but I think it would sound pretty shady to people of the first century is, I mean to the time of Ruth as well you're going to do what? So you mean this guy has been drinking <laughs> and then you're going to appear under his covers and if that sounds a little bit murky it is a little bit murky but yet we're, we're, we, are, we, are, we are putting up Ruth and we're putting up boaz as these great people of character so we kind of go what's going to happen next i mean how is this going to work out to make things even worse this time of the threshing floors where when the men who normally are at home find themselves out of town having a lot of resources You know, like the the time of the the harvest is when you have your richest of all year long, so they have more stuff than ever before. They're not with their wives, and they've been drinking. Oftentimes, the prostitutes, regularly the prostitutes would come and be among them. Yeah, this is kind of (laughs) shady. And so she does what she's told to do. It seems as if Naomi is putting Ruth in a very difficult position. What might happen? (laughs) She could be caught. She could be, they could look at her and say, oh, you're the Moabitess. This is what we would expect. This is the kind of behavior we expect from people of Moab. Boaz could wake up and freak out that there's a woman sleeping next to him, right? Boaz could say, this is terribly inappropriate because he's a man of character. This doesn't look like it's going to work out. It looks to be somewhat manipulative of Naomi. And we don't know whether she's intending anything inappropriate or not. (laughs) But it definitely could be taken as inappropriate. Verse 6. So she went down. So Ruth went down to the threshing floor. And did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. That must have been pretty shocking. He doesn't cry out. But he is calm in this moment, which is a grace of God. Naomi sends Ruth to really secure Ruth's future. A few verses up, it talks about how she's going to send her not to protect Naomi, but she sees in Boaz an opportunity. If this man might take her in because... Naomi has no prospects at all. So it is a a love that now Naomi is showing to Ruth. Maybe this man will receive you. Go. He's shown kindness to you. Go to him. So she goes to him, and this is where they find themselves. The first point was the plan. Now, second scene is the proposal. In verse 9, he says this. He said, who are you? (laughs) Pretty good question. And she said, she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are redeemer. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. This is so bold of Naomi. What she's actually doing is giving him a marriage proposal. This is like Sadie Hawkins dance, like on steroids, right? She's like laying next to him, and he says, oh, who is this? And she says, it's me, Ruth. Now, bless me, marry me. (laughs) Well, hello, right? (laughs) She asked Boaz to act in keeping with his character. She is seeing in him this great love, this chesed kind of love that comes from God. She's seen that in him, and she is hopeful that this man of God will not first rat her out, but also, he will then spread his love for her. He will give her the said love and receive her as his wife. It seems so unlikely, so impossible. Previously, he has said that he is praying for her. That she, He asked for a blessing that God would spread his wings over her. And now she's coming and saying, let God spread his wings over me. You spread your wings over her. You protect me. You act like you say. Not, don't, just, don't just say the words, but live them out. Let me fall under the wings of your Hassed and bless me. Let me be married to you. Brings up a, a really good question. He says, who are you? If you remember previously, he's asked about, he's inquired about her before. And do you remember the phrase he did to, to, he asked in, 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 in finding out who she was? He said, whose is she, Right. But now he's not saying that anymore. He's saying, who is she? It's a great question. In fact, we'll see the same question at the end of the chapter as well. When Naomi sees Ruth again, he'll, she'll ask, who are you? The reason that's important is because it's important not what Ruth is or what she does, but who Ruth is. Boaz then says to her, verse 10, and he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young, young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. The first scene, the plan, the second, the proposal, and now the promise he says to her something curious, right? He says, the said the love that you showed, the kindness that you've shown to me at this moment is greater than the first. What was the first said that she showed? Her love for Naomi, right? The way she cared for, regardless of the, her own welfare, she loved Naomi. Now, he says, this love you've shown right now Trump's is even greater than the love that you showed Naomi. We said that the love that she showed Naomi was one of the greatest acts of kindness we'd seen in all of Scripture. And he says, now this one is even better. What's he saying? He's saying, now your proposal to me in coming and asking me for my love is greater. What you've done is you've not gone after young men. You've not gone after rich or poor. The idea is if you went after a poor man, it was for love it's not because you have a romantic feeling towards me Uh, it's it's not because you have that I have a great deal of wealth it's not because I'm a a young good-looking man you have come to me and you've appealed to me to be your husband isn't this an odd story not quite like Cinderella but he says I see in you he's asking who are you and she's expressing who she is you see, when we come to these relationships, when we are thinking about marriage, and we have, we have a lot of folks in here who are, who are looking for that husband or that wife. Especially in our time, we are so aware of our own needs. I mean, in all of history, it seems like there's never been a greater opportunity to be selfish than in our generation, right? I mean, it's all about I. We have iPhones, iPads, iPods, We have great access to whatever we want. In fact, Google does it for us, right? So after we look at something online that we want, they send ads back wherever you don't expect it, right? You're looking at the weather and you're going, oh, there's that leisure shoot I'd like. Again. And again. And again. Our desires keep coming back like they're following us, right? Please yourself. Get what you want. Have, have, have. Be happy. Be happy. Satisfy your desires, do whatever you want. That is a, a common mantra that's like on our screens all the time speaking to us. But a said kind of love, a said kind of love says, I love someone else more than myself. It is very antisocial. It's very anti-cultural for us to love that kind of way. And so now as we go to look for a husband or wife, you young people, Listen. You're going to come to that day? What are you looking for? Oftentimes we make lists, right? Uh, he needs to be funny. He needs to be cute. He needs to be, have a little bit of money. He needs to, you know, we have our list. We, he, he, needs to be, uh, he needs to be diligent. He needs to be a worker, whatever it might be. Miss B's here. Miss B says, uh, you can have that list, but as soon as you get one red flag, you throw them right out. So... Look for the red flags. But as you look down that list, it's, it's what? And Boaz asks, who? Who are you? And the truth is that Ruth is this woman who loves with a Hased kind of love. He sees this in her. Like, that's really important. When you're looking for that husband or for that wife, look for this kind of love. You're going to need it. You're going to want to have someone who puts you above themselves. The marriage relationship is so close to God's relationship to the church. He puts them together in Ephesians chapter 5. So just as a man is to... to, uh, A woman is to submit to her husband, so the church submits to Christ. And just as the the husband is to take care of the, the, the the sacrifice for the wife, so does Christ sacrifice for the church. They're just they're just combined. And it's marriage is part of our sanctification. It's part of what we've been called to do. It helps us understand God's love for us. It also helps us understand our shortcomings. You know, a marriage is not a window that you look out. It's a mirror that you look back at yourself and go, oh, golly, there's that selfishness again. And it's uncomfortable, right? And it's messy. And it's a lot of work. Amen. It's a lot of work. But don't be discouraged, young people. It's a good kind of work. It's a purifying kind of work. It's a blessing kind of work. And if you don't have that work, then oftentimes you aren't sanctified in that way. It's all for our fulfillment and completion in Jesus Christ. That's what marriage is. And so when you are looking for that husband or wife, I want to tell you this. Look for hased. Look for hesed. Do they love? Do they love well? Not just the romantic, stare-in-your-eyes kind of love. That's kind of confusing, isn't it? That, oh, baby. <laughs> we don't need even words. Y'all been there before. 20 minutes of just staring at each other. That's sweet, but that, does, that goes away. Amen. It's not always like that. Amen. Fights come, bills come, children come, and that starry sky is not so starry anymore. And if if you're if you're loving somebody for just the what because, because they have a six-pack ab, ladies, they become kegs after a while. Amen. And if that's what you're, attra- is that what you're like, oh, i received what I was looking for, it changes. Things fall. <laughs> Amen. After a season. So if there's no chesed, we're in deep trouble. So this beautiful story that's better than Cinderella says what you really need is not a, a handsome prince, you need a man who is noble and who expresses said. That's what you're looking for. Keep your eyes open. Now, doesn't mean they gotta be as ugly as, as all get out. I'm not saying that. But where do you find a said? Is that what you're looking for? Are you looking for, oftentimes, you know, we, we hook up with somebody because we don't want to be someplace else. Amen? I, I don't want to... I don't want to be stuck at home with these people anymore. I don't want to be stuck in this situation. I don't want to feel lonely anymore. I want someone to, to think I'm all right, who wants to be around me at least part of the time. That's what I want. But I'm asking you to hold out. Wait. Look for the right things. And in this story, the right thing is said. He says, now let me take care of you. You haven't gone after the young men. You haven't gone after the rich guys. You haven't gone after a romantic kind of love. You've seen in me something. And so he blesses her. What he's also said is, you know what? The people in the town have been talking about you. They know your name, Ruth. They know that you are a man, you're a woman of great honor. So she has lived out this honorable way. Boaz has lived out in this honorable way. You know, in the Hebrew Bible, Proverbs is followed by the book of Ruth. Did you know that? And in Proverbs 31, we learn about this woman, like the last chapter of Proverbs is this woman who's of great character of noble character and one of the things it said is is uh the name is known in the streets It's known in the uh in the city gates where that's where the the men would sit around and talk about the business of the community and so it's just it's just a tag on the end of proverbs 31 where this woman is known in the city gates she's known by her character they're not talking about her beauty. They're talking about how this woman loves like Hassad kind of love that God has for his people. This is a woman to take notice of. Young men, this, older men, this is the kind of woman to take notice of. This woman of character, this woman who has a great chesed kind of love that puts others before herself. Ladies, look for this man like Boaz. This man of great character, of great chesed love putting others before themselves. I'm proud to say that's what I found in my lovely wife. I remember talking in my parents' house with her, like the first time you really talk about stuff, and she start, her, her, her conversation immediately went to serving in foreign countries and being a witness there and and as like, ah, I like this chica. <laughs> my, my eyes kind of opened like, oh, well, this one's a real prospect, you know? This one, I didn't, know the t- I didn't know the word at the time, but this one has said. That's what we should look for. So he says, now, hold on just a minute. What's going to happen is uh, we're going to get up in the morning, and I want, uh, I want you to leave under the darkness of night so nobody sees you. And so uh, he then packs her up. This is really cool. He packs her up six measures of barley and puts it in her coat and says, now, go. So, no one will see you, so no one will say anything, so your reputation will be intact. She, she goes under the cover of darkness and takes it back to Naomi. I, we have to read the words, it's, it's, it's so good. The last few verses of Ruth chapter 3, verse 17 says this He says, saying, This six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, oh, This is what she's telling now to. To Naomi, these six ba- measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. So he brings back six measures, she brings back six measures of barley and gives it to Naomi. Now, for those who've been here, see if you haven't been here, you've really missed. Do you remember what Naomi says when she enters back into Bethlehem? She says, I I left what? Full. And I've come back empty. And so now he says, take this back to her and fill her up. (laughs) She's not empty anymore. Ooh, isn't that good? But it even gets better because the number six is a number of incompletion. The number of seven is completion. So what is it saying? Once again, I'm going to send you back with six because a seventh's coming. Ooh. Isn't that good? This promise that there's even more. Every week, if you've been here, every week, it's ended with the same theme, hasn't it? We said last time that it was the beginning, the first week, it's the, in, the beginning of the barley harvest. What The grain came back to Bethlehem, the city of bread. The grain has come back, so we should rejoice. There's something about to happen. And then we saw the next week that it was the time of the Passover. It was a time at the end of the harvest, which was now Pentecost. There's great excitement leading to Pentecost. It's as if they were to say, it is now snowing. It's Christmas Eve. Like there was something about to happen. And now this week, he says, now take back these six scoops. Because there's what? A seventh one coming. God is going to fill the house again of Naomi. That's good news. That is not just the love of Boaz, but that is God loving his people specifically by name and providing for them. Insert your name there. This isn't just a story about a man and a woman and their love for each other. It is the love of God for his people, and I pray that you fall under his blessing. Do you know him like that? Is he your God? Today, if he is your God, expect there's only six scoops. There's a seventh one coming. That's the said kind of love that God has for us. Isn't that good? Which also means the story is not over. There's still one more chapter to go, and we will see an even grayer picture of God's has said, kind of love falling on his people that will last for all of eternity. So come back next week for baptisms. Come back next week as we see a great love that passes up any Cinderella story, the love that God has for you and me. Let's pray.